0: with special guest, author Ron Lieber. All right, I was very emotional for you. I am dying to know, how did college drop-off go?
1: It went well, Rena. it Mm. went well. And I will tell you, like, I got the saddest the last night we were home before we took her. I'd sort of been holding it together pretty well, and we had a long to-do list. And the night before we... Left to drive her to college. We went out to dinner with my in laws and um, my husband's sister. And that was the last thing on the to do list before taking my kid to college. And as soon as we came home from that, like I just got this huge wave of sadness. And I think that all of the to do's had held that at bay for a while. Yeah. Um, And I got sad and weepy. And I was weepy as I like kissed her goodnight, you know, the last night sleeping in her bed (laughs) under these particular conditions. And then we were okay. Like, we got up, we mm. got in the car, we dropped her off. Um, she seems to be doing great. Texting is fabulous. It lets us stay in touch without overwhelming her. You know, it, it can give us a quick touch, a quick hit. Um, I send her darling photos of her little sister. She always responds oh. to those. So if oh. I really need to know that she's alive, I'll send her a cute <laughs> picture of her sister. So, so far, so good. Oh,
0: well, well, my eyes are watering just thinking about it. I'm so emotional when, when people, it's like a new stage of life, but... It seems like this was such a special year because I think a lot of parents are happy to see their kids finally be able to get off into the world in a way that you probably couldn't have imagined.
1: Yeah. And I was really grateful for her on the timing just in terms of where COVID is. It made me that much sadder for kids in the last couple of cohorts um, to be able to do a normal drop off with her. Right. What a big deal. Well, you know what else makes me cry is
0: the idea of paying for college. (laughs) You said it. (laughs) So I'm so excited to welcome our next guest who's a friend of the podcast. We've got Ron Lieber, who's the author of The Price You Pay for College, an entirely new roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever make. Ron has been the Your Money columnist for The New York Times since 2008. He's written a personal finance column for The Wall Street Journal, and he's also the author of The Opposite of Spoiled, Raising Kids Who Are Grounded, Generous, and Smart About Money. That was an instant New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller when it was released back in
1: 2015. Ron, welcome. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: We're
1: absolutely delighted. Your, um, your work on families and finances and money is really quite unparalleled, and we're just honored to have you join us.
0: It's a pleasure. So, Ron, I want to start off and ask you a little bit about where do you even start? That's one of the questions that we were asked was, how do you start filling out scholarship applications? Are there any good websites? Is it one-stop shopping for forms and grants? Where does A Parent begin?
2: Well, I think it starts with the parents if there are two, and that includes a situation if there are, you know, step parents involved, if there's a divorce, or if you're parenting solo, either way, you know, it starts with a conversation either with your spouse or your ex or an internal conversation or one with a close friend um, about exactly what it is that you are able to to do here and what you are willing to do. Because sometimes there's a pretty big gap between those things, and that's okay, right? You don't need to apologize to anyone, um, but you need to be prepared to explain what you're able and willing to pay or to borrow uh, to your child. Um, And often, um, parents, when there are two, Um, are actually in conflict about that. And they haven't um, been able to or just taken the time to successfully articulate um, to one another what it is they think they ought to pay for all of this and why. And you had better be on the same page about this before it starts because you don't want your child or children, if you've got multiples at the same time, to get the wrong idea about what is in the realm of the possible financially. And that's before you even get into, you know, the odds of getting in someplace in the first place or or getting a decent financial aid package.
1: I love that. You know, so there's this huge broad framing about the adults in the picture coming together and figuring out what are we looking at here? What is available to us? What is possible for us? What are we willing to do? And I also love that idea of the adults getting on the same page before bringing the young person in because clinically I've certainly seen plenty of situations where the kid gets caught between adults who are not in agreement, which is as if the college process weren't hard enough already.
2: Right? <laughs> right. It'd be. Yep. Yes.
1: It's really tough. Okay. So let's say this has happened. Lots of good thinking has happened and the family is thinking, well, we know what we're willing to do. We'd love to see what money is out there. So we'll come back to the question of financial aid, but just in terms of scholarships, like, is it really true that there's all this scholarship money laying around that no one's using? If so, how do you find it? Like, where should parents <laughs> even start on that one?
2: Yeah, um, so here's my feeling about that. Um you know, some of those websites that you see on banner ads all over the internet are kind of scammy, right? They take your money and you know maybe they send you a list, but you know it's places that are um that don't exist anymore. Or the information's outdated or the odds are long. Or, you know, the scholarship money is, you know, $500 here or $1,000 there. Um, You know, every couple of years, you'll see some viral story of, you know, some teenager who spent three months applying for 500 scholarships and, you know, ended up with $72,000. So I'm not here to say that it doesn't happen. I'm here to talk about um, odds of success. Uh, and uh, how much time you and your child really have to devote to this project, because my feeling about it is that um, shopping intelligently and asking for a better deal um, appropriately, when appropriate, which is two different things, um, you know, will often yield a five-figure swing in your direction, sometimes many tens of thousands of dollars, with a um, well-placed, well-articulated email that took you 15 minutes to write, but it might have taken you a couple years to understand enough about how the system works to be ready to write that email. Mm. So that's kind of a long way of saying that you can absolutely find a way to pay less um, but I'm not sure you should necessarily cast your lot or your entire lot with some random website that's promising, you know seventeen scholarships.
0: you know, Ron, I if you're if we're really honest about it, college is big business. It is a business. It's not a charity. They want to make sure you're going to come, you're going to pay your tuition. It, does it? We had a question from a parent saying, you know, d- does it affect my child adversely if I genuinely have need? I, I just we can't afford it. We're gonna need financial aid. Could that ever hurt you by being that open and honest? I mean, you have to be transparent. You're showing your your finances.
2: Sure, it depends. Right, so there is a category of schools that are need-blind, which means if you have financial need, if you've filled out the FAFSA or the CSS profile, which a couple hundred private colleges require you to fill out, um, and those formulas and spreadsheets spread out a number that say, yeah, you can only afford to pay X, which is less than the Y that you know your chosen university costs. You know that then you have demonstrated need, right? And some schools will. Um, not even look at your need before deciding to admit you. And then once you're in, um, there are a smaller number that will meet your full demonstrated need. Now, they might do it with all grants or they might do it, you know, with some grants and a bunch of loans, um, but they will meet your need. And then there's a whole bigger category of schools that um, are not need blind where your um, need may hurt you, you know, at the end of the process. Um, And then if they do let you in, they won't meet your full need, so they'll do what's known as gapping, right? So you know, if you can only afford to pay fifty-two thousand dollars, and you get into a school with a list price of seventy-two, you know, they might give you only six or eight thousand dollars, and then you've got twelve or fourteen thousand dollars that you've just got to figure out, right? And they are banking on the fact that you will, which gets into you know the sort of deeply emotional um, part of all this, which the colleges are, in some senses, taking advantage of because, as you said in the question, they are businesses, um, and they are sort of pricing and and discounting um, uh, accordingly.
1: I want to come back to something you said earlier about the well-placed email or the well-worded email. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack for us a little bit more
2: what you're talking about there? Sure. Um, So I guess I would think about it this way. First of all, put yourself in the shoes of... Um, the Vice President of Enrollment, Enrollment Management, is kind of what's, what this is known as um, in the colleges these days. And if that sounds like something that might go on uh, 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 at an airline, for instance, that's because it is quite similar. They're using a whole variety of historical data, about people like you, people from your zip code, people from your school, people with your interests, people with your SAT score, people with your GPA, feeding that into a giant algorithm and having the algorithm make the first guess as to what kind of, of discount, um, often in the form of so-called merit aid, which is different from need-based aid. Merit aid and at least theory is about um, what you've done as opposed to what you have or what you don't have. So they're putting um, those, those prices and discounts um, out to you, right? So you sort of start with that understanding, right? The um, Like the airline managers, um, if school starts or if the plane takes off and there are empty seats or empty beds, right, the dorms are not at full capacity, that vice president of enrollment is in real trouble. And if that happens a couple years in a row, they get fired, mm-hmm. right? So if it's April 27th and you're not coming in at the sort of, you know, level of heads and beds that you expect to, um, you're under some pressure to get people to say yes, right? So as an applicant, um, you are trying to put yourself in a position um, where you understand those pressures and then are ready to write that note. And the note depends on whether you're trying to get more need-based aid or trying to get more... And there's a, you know, kind of a minute or two of explanation on each of those, but it begins with understanding um, the position that the people in enrollment management uh, are in, in any given year.
0: So Ron, how do you walk the line between the right college for your child and the right college for your bank account?
2: Sure. Um, Well, you know, it sort of starts with that understanding Um, as a parent of, you know, sort of what you're able and willing to pay, what you're able and willing to borrow, right? So you sort of come up with a number. And then you can do some research ahead of time by filling out something called a net price calculator that'll help you figure out, if you're applying for need-based aid, what sort of price the college might ask of you if your kid were to get in. Merit aid is much less predictable, but you can use something that just about every college publishes called the Common Data Set, which allows you to tease out um, what sorts of kids do get merit aid in any given year. At any given school? At any given school. Wow. So yeah, it's it's, it's literally a common form. It looks the same at every school. And you can just sort of dive in there to section H2A um, and see what sort of discount is offered to families who can afford to pay full price but may not want to. And you can figure out what percentage of those kids get aid what the average amount is you know w- what a GPA looks like in the in the 90th percentile at that school um, and you can begin to try to tease out um, what sort of discount might offer uh, they might offer and, and what your odds are of getting a bigger one the schools with with a couple of notable exceptions um, are don't really want you trying to figure this out it's it's to their advantage mm-hmm. right to to um, for you to be unpleasantly surprised in some way. Because remember, on the front end, part of what they're graded on by U.S. News is how many people apply and how many people they reject, right? Because the rejectivity of these schools is actually working in their favor, right? So they don't want you necessarily to be discouraged by money. And I actually feel like, you know, you should take your shot, right? I don't have a problem with kids applying for... 10 or 12 or 14 schools if you if you're really looking to sort of play them against one another financially and and you have some real constraints right because hopefully they get into half and you know you've got a bunch of numbers to look at and um you know if money is a big part of what's driving the decision or or the main driver of the decision you you want to have some choices
1: all right i have a question for you about 529s we actually got a lot of questions from our listeners about 529s But I just have to pause for a moment and say, you know, as you talk through all of this, I find myself quickly feeling overwhelmed. Like, it's so Mm. complicated, right? And there's so much detail. So, So um, for our readers, our listeners, this is in your book, right? A lot of the deep dives on any of these topics that you are giving us a broad overview, if people are feeling what I'm feeling, which is this sort of, like, holy moly, this is so much and so many complexities, your book if they were inclined, we would walk them through this all in quite a bit more detail. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. I mean, the, the, the book is, is totally linear, and I gave a lot of thought for a lot of months about exactly what order it should be in um, to make sure people understood how this worked, how to shop, right, what to be looking for, the things that might confuse them um section two of the book is all about the things that will trip you up emotionally mm. right because this is this is very much a psychological game yeah, it is that's being played with pricing and with you know parental desire and and you know kids ambition or is it parents ambition i always forget what you <laughs> mean. Um, and uh, and and it, you know the the book was longer than I expected, um, and in fact it wasn't long enough. It, it, there um, there was so much um, interest after the fact in this sort of merit aid concept that we've touched on that I'm I'm building an interactive course that's just about that right the psychological game the process um, you know a, a much deeper dive into you know where you can find the good data, and just you know trying to hold people's hand. Um, because you know people wanted more and i you know i mean probably once a week during during the spring um you know people who know me or have my cell phone number get me on the phone And, you know, they sort of send me the details of what they're um, dealing with. And I sort of write them a script and explain what's going on, you know, and it's just 10 minutes of my time. And then they write the 15 minute email and $26,000 shows up, $52,000 over four years. And, you know, I, I think people don't understand that it's that it's okay to ask for more. And in fact, it's essential um, when we're talking about, uh, you know, one of the most consequential decisions your family will ever make, um, so I, you know, Lisa, to to um, I, to to address your point from a from a feelings perspective, because it was in fact a feelings question and not a finance question, um, I I think a lot of people you know come to the to the book and come to the topic with anxiety. Um, I've heard from a number of people, which didn't didn't, actually surprise me that, you know, by kind of the end of the first section of the book, they were angry. Mm -hmm. Um, They were angry that the system has evolved the way um, that it has, Um, but they felt settled as I walked them through very slowly in plain English um, from the perspective of a parent who's living it. Um, And, you know, the last chapter is titled Hope, um, and I'd like to think that by the time this is over, because by the time I was done reporting, um, I felt this way too, that people will feel some hope. Um, that there uh, really is a school out there for everybody and a number of great ones uh, don't charge anything near the list price, including for people in the 1%. And uh, you know, oftentimes people just don't understand um, that's how it works and how the game is played. And so I'm just trying to give people the tools that they need, not just to sort of navigate the process, but to calm the hell down.
0: (laughs) Mm. We're going to pause, take a quick break. And on the other side of this break, we're going to ask you about financial planning, particularly 529s and are they worth it? We'll be right back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, the psychology
1: of parenting. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa EarthBreeze eco sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and earthbreeze.com slash ask Lisa. This message is
0: sponsored by Greenlight. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it. And they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to Ask Elisa, The Psychology of Parenting. We're joined by our incredible guest, Ron Lieber, the author of The Price You Pay for College, an entirely new roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever
1: make. Okay, Ron, so knowing that your book exists as a life raft out there, if, when, if anyone is feeling like they're drowning in all of these details, back to the details. Talk to us about 529s. We got a lot of questions. Here's one we got. I have four kids, the amount we have in our 529 is not nearly close enough to help all four of these kids through college, how should I be thinking about this? Mm, Good question,
2: sure. So let's start by explaining, you know, briefly what these things are. So, five twenty nine is a tax advantaged savings account, investment account, um, and you use it to pay for college. And in many states, you can now use it for K to twelve private school. Um, I'm not sure that's such a great idea because, you know, the longer money has to grow and compound on itself, kind of the better off you are. And so I'm not sure you want to be putting money in there when a kid is age two and then yanking it, you know, when they're five. Um, You know, much better to wait a little longer if you can. Not everybody can do that. So when I say tax advantage, um, often you get a tax break of some sort from your state when you put the money in, or at least in the year when you put the money in. And then when the money comes out, you don't have to pay Federal tax, no income tax, no capital gains tax on that money as long as you use it for any and all college expenses, including travel, including room and board, including computers. Um, you know it's a pretty generous definition um, so you can see why it might be advantageous you know the more you save and the more it grows, the more taxes you avoid, the more tax breaks you get on the way in. you know it can be better than just putting the money aside uh, on your own so um You have to be able to afford to do that in the first place. It's a privilege to have that extra money. Um, For people who are lucky enough to be able to do it, um, great. It's an incredible tool. To the parent um, who has four kids and doesn't feel like they have anywhere near enough, um, I would encourage you to think about um, something that uh, I've termed the, the McKinley rule, um, which is named after a financial planner in Wisconsin named Kevin McKinley, who first explained it to me, although I, I think he's not the only person who, who has talked about it this way for decades. Just think about it in terms of thirds, right? Save a third, right? So University of Wisconsin probably costs you know $100,000 for four years. So Mr. McKinley for his kid, I think he had more than one, um, but I remember interviewing his daughter at one point. So let's just assume he has one, right? You wanna save $33,000 over the course of 18 years. Now that starts to feel doable, right? Maybe it's you know, $1,000 a year, um, so that's, uh, call it 75 bucks a month, and you know, that appreciates you know, 6% annually, let's call it, and you know, pretty soon you're just about there. Then the next $33,000, you pay out of current income now, this is harder, right? If you have a six-figure income, even, um, you know, trying to come up with 8000 spare dollars after taxes isn't easy, right? So maybe you get a side job. If you can't get a side job, you know, you don't take vacations for those four years. You eat rice and beans, <laughs> you know, you chase, you know, you, you change, you know, a couple of other habits and, and you try and make it work. Um, and then you borrow a third. Um, maybe the a parent borrows 17000 and the kid borrows 16000 Now, in fact, the kid can borrow as much as, so oh, I think it's $32,000, $33,000 under the terms of the federal um, student loan program, right? So maybe you divide it differently. You're like, maybe the kid borrows everything. And maybe the kid works during the summer, during the school year, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got another twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars 25000 in kid income to play with. And, you know, as you start to, start to work the numbers that way, pretty soon it starts to feel reasonable. Now, it feels way less reasonable if that kid from Madison, Wisconsin, actually wants to go to the University of Chicago, where the cost of attendance is now over $80,000. Per year right not for four years but per year um, you know so you do that math and you, you've effectively got to triple everything um, that's much harder um, but you know for a for a relatively affluent family where the parent or parents doesn't have their own student loans that they're still paying off I know a lot of families where the parents are not done paying their own loans off when the first kid starts college but you know, if you're relatively affluent, um, saving a third of the money, um, you know, on a salary that spirals into the six figures is is doable, um, you know, with some sacrifice. And so, you know, hopefully that helps make people feel at least a little better about this.
0: Mm. I think that's one of the things that we've heard over and over again from the emails we got in our inbox from people who knew you were coming Parents are asking, I I just, I don't think I'll be able to put much towards my kids' tuition. I've got my own loans. I'm watching millennials struggling with paying back. I don't want to put this on my kid's head. What's the advice that you have?
2: Look, not everybody has to go to college. um, And... Uh, you know, with each passing year, we hear about more efforts, small-scale ones, but they exist, particularly at the tech companies, to, you know, sort of bring people along and bring people in who do not have college degrees. And so, you know, you can take your shot at, at a white-collar job um, uh, and certainly uh, blue-collar jobs, um, you know, without the degree, right? This isn't a requirement, Um and there's nothing wrong, um, you know, for a child who's just not sure, who may not be ready, to do something else for a year or two, um, you know, to figure out what it is um, they like and what it is they don't like, and maybe pick up, you know, a couple of years of of more of maturity and drive, and maybe some savings too. Um, There is no sin, Um, quite the opposite, in fact, sending your kid to a community college for free or a handful of thousand dollars per year if you can afford to keep them at home and, you know, family harmony will be preserved. And, you know, you can pick up all of the, you know, required credits for two years of college, um, you know, in as little as two years transfer to, you know, a branch of the state university, commute, um, you know, or, or, or go off someplace else, maybe to the flagship state university for, you know, 50 grand. And again, 50 grand, you know, a kid can earn, uh, let's call it, you know, $25,000 over the course of four years of working during the school year and working during the summer, um, they can take out $25,000 of federal loans. And that's not that big of a burden, right? Because the federal loan program has a um, what's known as an income-driven repayment program, programs actually, where the size of the payment is totally dependent on your income. So if you can't get a job right away, um, you don't have to pay uh, very much of your loans or even anything at all. So I don't want people to sort of get... Give up hope or feel despair or worst of all, feel like they have failed as a parent um, because they haven't been able to navigate this system. This is all really messy and expensive. And the fact that the United States of America and just about every state does not subsidize this the way um, that educate, higher education is subsidized in most of the rest of the world is not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, and if you're inclined to beat yourself up about it or feel despairing or downcast, please just stop because you did not create this.
1: Mm, that's yeah. so good. So grateful for you. Okay, back to the 529s. It's, it's, I, I, I can dip my toe in and out of the details and listen, I, but I'm amazed. I just, I keep reflecting on how overwhelming I find this because I just feel like I cannot be the only parent who has this experience <laughs> when we get to this topic. Okay. So here's a question we have from a listener. Um, what effect will the 529 have on financial aid? Will saving for my, co- my child's college fund actually result in less financial aid?
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's a great question. Um, it, it, you know, the, the way the system works is, is fairly counterintuitive. And... Uh, more than once, I think, I've written a column in the New York Times that sort of directly answers the question, so maybe you all can toss it in the show notes mm-hmm. um, or a link to it. Um, but the, the the basic answer is that not much. It, it doesn't actually um, impact things as, um, as much as you might. Um, the way the federal formula works is that, um, you know, the, so, so this is when you're filling out the FAFSA as opposed to the school's form, is that, um, you know, so much of... Um, of the amount of aid that you might qualify for is dependent on your income as opposed to your assets, right? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to, if you're applying for private college and they're using that, that the CSS profile form, there they care or they often care a fair bit about the equity in your home if you're a homeowner, but the 529 plans are really only supposed to be sort of taxed or drawn on at the rate of, I think it's 5.6% a year, 6.2% a year. So you may... Think about this and be like, wait a second, wait, six, 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 that's 24. What, what What's happening to the other 76, right? Um, but these formulas are, are built with the recognition that even people in the 2%, sometimes in the 1%, they, they, they can't afford to write... Um, $80,000 checks each year, right? So there's an understanding that, you know, a lot of it is still, you know, going to need to come out of savings. And so there's just an assumption that, you know, of course you're going to use that money, but you're not penalized for it. It's just not a big part of the formula. And I, I get why it's sort of difficult to believe that, but, you know, I've been asking and re-asking the question again and again um, over the years, Um you know in fact the reverse may be true if you're a family with an income you know decently well into the six figures and you have no savings and you're applying for financial aid i've talked to financial aid officers uh, usually off the record because they don't want to say this in public and they're sort of scratching their heads and looking at this and being like These people have a cottage by a lake Hmm. and they don't have any college savings. Hmm. Um, You know, they, they, they know they have an encyclopedic knowledge of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, you know, public schools. If you're living in an affluent district and you haven't managed to save, you know, they don't know that much about you, but, but they make some assumptions, right? And maybe they don't know that you're supporting an elderly parent and writing a, you know, $125,000 check each year for a nursing home. Maybe they don't know that you had a sort of terrible accident and didn't work, um, you know, for eight years, uh, you know, sometime in the recent past, right? If you are in that spot, tell them, um, that should be part of your application, but you know, they, they're human and they, they can't help but, but, make judgments. And so you're not going to be penalized for having saved.
0: One of the other questions that we got uh, a couple times over was, should our kids take on some financial responsibility? Like, is it better that they pay for something so they don't realize, oh, mom and dad just paid for my college tuition. Isn't that great? I don't have to worry about that. What's your take on that?
2: Yeah I, I think the answer to that question is yes. Um, and my favorite story in this regard, um, these are actually a couple colleagues who both worked with me years ago at the New York Times, and you know they would sit each of their kids down. there were four of them, and they said, "All right, um, it's eighth grade, and we just want to let you know that you are going to be paying for the first semester of your college tuition." And we wow. don't care how expensive it is. Mm. You know, if you're going to the University of Chicago at 80, what's now $80,000 a year, um, we don't qualify for any financial aid. You're paying. So, you know, at the U of C today, that would probably be $30,000 and change, right? So, you know, that's a lot for um, an eighth grader to contemplate. But, you know, these kids got the heads up at 13 or 14, and, you know, they went and they scrubbed toilets in the public bathrooms wow. at the beach, you know, in Long Beach, New York, and they hustled, you know, newspapers in the morning and they scooped ice cream in the afternoon, mm. hopefully after washing their hands. With and they were done with the toilets, (laughs) right? And then they lifeguarded for, you know, a a, a pretty decent amount of money on those Mm. beaches, and they did it every last one of them. And so, you know, the the next question is often, well, if they worked, um, that meant they weren't doing internships in the summer, or they, like, weren't going on service trips, or they weren't, like, doing the stuff they need to do to, um, you know, stuff their college applications with impressive stuff, but I have news for you on that front, too. Um, college admissions officers are sick of your overprogrammed children. Uh, they've had enough really? all these kids look, look is, exactly the same, well, right? So what do they want? There's do all, they want their kids? There's, there's all sorts of kids from, there, you know, the, the, there are very few kids from affluent communities in particular um, who just hustle, for four straight summers, um, it's okay to say to a college admissions officer, uh, "I made thirty-two thousand dollars over the four years, you know, that, that I was working, and I'm putting that all towards college." Um, if you write an application mm-hmm. essay about, you know, some aspect um, of your job, um, you know, that's going to stand out because there's not that many of those. Those kids from that family, uh, Harvard, MIT. Northwestern College of Charleston. They did okay. They did okay. <laughs> they
1: did okay.
2: <laughs> Nobody was penalized for having, for having worked during the summer.
1: That's an incredible story, and on so many levels, and incredibly useful. Okay, so it gets us to another key question, which is whether or not a family is going to go down that road. At what age do we start talking with our kids about exactly where you began, what we can do, what we're willing to do, what may fall to them? to cover in terms of paying or taking loans, when should these conversations begin with our kids?
2: Yeah, so here's what I would suggest. Um, and this is what we've done in our household. So we started saving um, in uh, in a 529 um, account, uh, you know, right after my wife, you know, sort of peed on the stick, right? Just um, <laughs> kind of right- when you have to start. <laughs> yeah, we, we started right away with whatever we could. And we elected to get um, the account statement on paper. And starting at a pretty early age, you know, when our when our oldest was five or six, and we're about to start doing it with the six-year-old too, um, that thing would come in the mail, and I would open it up, and I'd say to her, Talia. We have nine percent of your college paid for. Mommy and I have been saving, and one of the reasons you know we work extra jobs is to make sure that you're going to have enough money, that we're going to have enough money, uh, or to try to have enough money so that you can go wherever you want without us having to think too hard about it, because that's not how it was for me, right? I was on need-based financial aid, and it was a real struggle. And we'd like to make it so that it's not that way for you. And so, you know, some of that went over her head when she was younger, but what was implanted was, you know, an expectation, right? That she mm-hmm. was going to go, right, that we wanted her to go, that it was going to be an option for her, um, that she should try not to, you know, think too hard about money and just think about the things that she was passionate about. And, you know, we've given her more detail over time. She's a rising junior in high school now. Um, But then we sat her down before um, her first year in high school. And we said to her, look, we think it's only fair that you know a little bit about how the system works. And, you know, there's a group of 20 or 30, 40 schools um, that don't do any discounting based on what kind of student you are. Um, You know, that just doesn't come into play. But there are some really good schools, the University of Chicago, Duke University, uh, Oberlin, Kenyon, um, McAllister College in Minnesota, Grinnell, um, that uh, will, uh, Tulane is another example, um, that will discount or even give you a free ride if you're an extraordinary student. Um, We are not telling you this. We are not telling you about the so-called merit aid system um, to put more pressure on you. Um, We want you to be happy. We want you to sleep uh, when you need to sleep and we want you to pursue the things that you're passionate about, but we did not want to end up in the situation where you only found out about this in your junior year um, and maybe because we didn't meet our savings goals, you know, your um, choices were constrained, and then you would say to us, how come you didn't tell me there was this opportunity to, like, effectively earn my way to bigger discounts with, you know, kind of a lights-out academic performance because then, you know, maybe I wouldn't have screwed around as much or, or, or whatever, right? Um, so we felt like it was only fair that she knew how the system worked. Now, Lisa, you may remember this, but, like, adolescent psychologists Twitter was really angry with me when the excerpt from The Opposite of Spoiled showed up um, in the New York Times with the headline, um, you know, your kids' grades could be worth $100,000. You should tell them in eighth grade, right? Mm -hmm. People were really mad, right? But I I just think, you know... Again, we didn't create this system, it would be nice to blow it up, right? Um, and I'm trying to do my part to change things, but it's not going to be easy to change it, right? And so we're faced with two bad choices. Um, do we hide useful and important knowledge from them um, in the hopes of like keeping the pressure off? Um, Or do we actually give them the information that they need to make intelligent decisions for themselves while being very careful not to put pressure uh, on them? And I I just don't think it's a close call, right? We, We don't want them to wake up at age 16 or 17 and be like, how how dare you? How, mm-hmm. co- how could you, in the name of protecting me, kept this information from me that literally affects my life and the choices that I have? I mean, I, I I don't know. Do you all think it's a close call? I don't. Well, here's what I think. I think, first of all, information is power.
1: The entire goal of psychotherapy, actually, is to just make more choices available to people, to have people not feel constrained, right? So, you know, anything that Really, in life, helps people feel like they've got more options before them, I think, the better. But the other thing that really I think is critical in this, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so, part of what is so Mm. valuable for us is to hear how you said it to Talia. That if a family wants to say that, your language, your tone, your matter of factness, I think, is so powerful. And I think that often gets lost in the written word, right? I think that that doesn't always translate well. And so, I think it's wonderful for people to know as parents what their options are and then to decide as a family how they're going to let their kids know what their options are. And that's the goal, to have options.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to oversimplify the um, psychological, the psychological- complexity of some of this, because there are plenty of families who are in a spot where, um, you know, all they're going to be able to pay for or borrow for is the price of the flagship state university. And at that point, you know, the conversation in eighth, eighth grade is you can and should, you know, sort of take your shot at, you know, the University of Chicago or, or, or Tulane or, you know, Pitzer or, or Whitman or whatever. Um, but we just need you to know that, you um, it's going to be very difficult to do um, without you getting a bigger-than-average merit aid package you know, from those institutions. And really, the only way to do that is to take your studies as seriously as possible. And that doesn't come with an apology, by the way. It doesn't come with downcast eyes. Um, Again, right, can't say it enough. You as a parent have nothing to apologize for. You have almost certainly done the very best that you can. And if you are absorbing this knowledge and creating a plan and, and having um, an intelligent and, and thoughtful and um, careful conversation with your 14-year-old about it, you are, in fact, ahead of like 99% of humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you know, Ron, before I read your book and before we had this podcast, my strategy was to go into whatever school they're gonna be in and apply for a job, whether it's making turkey sandwiches, sweeping the floors, <laughs> librarian, and, and then would I qualify for like half tuition or something like that? I, I just I, I I just it's it should not be this expensive. And that was among the comments we got is both parent and child should not have to go into debt to get an education.
2: Yeah. And, you know, as we've mentioned, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's possible not to do that, right? Um, you can take a year off. You can earn money. You can put it away. You can go to community college for two years. You can live at home. You can work on the side. You can go to the flagship state university. Um, you can work sixty hours a week every summer and fifteen hours a week during the school year. Um, you can and and you know and that that will just about do it without debt. There's very few people who do it that way anymore, but it can be done. You can go and serve our country. For three years or longer in the armed forces and, you know, come out with a, a, a pretty good uh, sized um, set of educational benefits that will pay for or come close to pay for, paying for um, college. You can do ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps, and, um, you know, achieve similar results. So. It's it's not impossible, um, but many people feel it's impossible because you know they're all wrapped up in you know sort of r- r- the the prestige game, right? The, the the window sticker on the back windshield with you know sort of the fancy nameplate, and community college or joining the coast guard, or um, you know taking a gap year to work, um, I, you know th- those aren't those things aren't part of the list of um, what it means to be a successful parent for a a lot of people um, who didn't have any problem going to college themselves and who feel like they're a failure if they can't do it for their kids. Mm -hmm. And again, um, let me just say, things are radically different from when we all went to college and nobody should be beating themselves up um, over not being able to do what their parents did for them or not being able to, um, solve for all of the mistakes that their parents may have made in not do it for them.
1: Amazing. Ron, thank you so much for being with us. I have learned so much. I feel much better. I feel like I can <laughs> think about these details without becoming overwhelmed. Um, we
2: are so grateful for your time. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. And I want to remind everyone, the resources Ron talks about, and especially the title of his book, are all available on our show notes, so be sure to check it out. So Lisa, what do you have for us for Parenting to Go?
1: Well, I'm thinking about what Ron said about the prestige question and how that is lurking around so often in family life. And I... Agree with him completely. This is a completely different ballgame than when we were applying to college. Getting into college is much different and much harder. The financials are much different and much harder. And so the more that parents can lay that down, set that aside, come to this as neutrally as they possibly can about what's gonna work best for their kid and best for their family, financially and otherwise, the better.
0: So much to chew on and so much to think about, Lisa. We wanna thank Ron Lieber And we hope you join us next week. We're going to talk about sleepovers. Do you really have to send your kid to sleepovers? Lisa and I are going to talk about that. I'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.
0: Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com.